so many things, an entrepreneur, a public speaker, translation copier, and a lifestyle writer. But at my very core, I am a Tibetan. But if you ask me what Tibet, its people, and the culture is like, then I must honestly say that I have never been to Tibet. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. If you've never been to Tibet either, then this podcast is for you. Here, we're going to discuss everything about the roof of the world, from its unique culture, language, history, religion, food, music, folklore, and mysticism. On this podcast, we will also be joined by guests who know Tibet in their own unique ways, so that every time you tune in, you feel like you are bit by bit waking up closer to Tibet. Whenever we speak of Tibet, it's almost impossible for us to not think about the influence of Buddhism on Tibetan people and the culture. And I think the story of how uh, Buddhism spread from India to Tibet is one to be told and remembered. In order to spread the Buddhist teachings, Tibetan kings like Trisong Ditsen and Songtsen Gampo they invited enlightened masters, yogis, and pundits from India. Now, Tibet's terrain has always been known to be tough, from its testing weather to the risk of avalanches. Especially in the ancient times, the road to Tibet was not meant for the faint-hearted. So, how did the Indian Buddhist masters travel to Tibet and spread the teachings? To understand that, I had a conversation with His Holiness Yonge Mingyur Rinpoche, who is a Tibetan meditation master and is someone whose mother comes from the lineage of two great Tibetan kings who played a very crucial role in positioning Buddhism and its education in Tibet, Trisong Detsen and Songtsen Gapo. The first time the Buddha teaching come to Tibet, there are some, uh, the word of Buddha came uh, to one of the king, Songzen Gambo. And this uh, text is about the uh, like compassion and the uh, and the mantra, something about the Om Mani the mantra. And from there then Dharma slowly developed in Tibet and special during the King Tsung Dezen. And he invited the Guru uh, Padmasambhava from India and also invite um, the great uh, scholar Pandita, the Bodhisattva. So then the Tibetan Buddhism is really flourish. And also he sent, he trained many young youngsters, trained them as a, a translator, like Beruzana. And um, there are many translators who are really making hardship and went to India and brought the um, Buddha Dharma to Tibet. And also many Indian masters went to Tibet, like my tradition, Kajupa. So head of the my lineage called Marpa Lozawa. So he studied 
the Sanskrit in the Tibet. And then he took the very difficult journey. First came to Nepal, then went to India. Many different parts of India learned the Buddha Dharma, special tantric teachings, and went back to Tibet. So various, he's a great master in the past, making a lot of difficult. And of course, in that time, there's no train, there's no flight, there's no any vehicles. So only by uh, walking. Even before the arrival of Buddhism in Tibet, there was a religion that was practiced by Tibetans. It was the Ben religion. Ben had its own unique practices, and later many aspects of it were culminated together in Tibetan Buddhism that we know of today. Since Tibetan Buddhism had undergone a lot of evolution over the course of years, it was very important for me to ask this question. What is the essence of Tibetan Buddhism? And how is Tibetan Buddhism different from other Buddhist traditions? The essence of Buddhism, normally what we call two things, compassion and wisdom. So this compassion and wisdom is like two wings of bird. The wisdom is knowing the nature of true nature, reality. So the emptiness meditation, shunyata, and knowing the nature of yourself, the nature of mind, the luminosity, nature of yourself. And knowing, meditating on emptiness, it can develop love and compassion. And bodhicitta. So this compassion uh, practice helping others as much as you can at the same time together with wisdom. So that's the essence of the Buddha Dharma and Tibetan Buddhism is a little bit different than other Buddhist traditions because in the past, as I mentioned before, these great like masters, they invite many Indian masters from India to Tibet and many Tibetan masters that went to Tibet and receive various teaching all over the India, North, South, East, and West. And they took all the Buddha Dharma, whatever there in India, bring back to Tibet. So in India, there's a like Shavakayana, like Foundationalayana, Payabhashika, Sutantika, Chittamadar, Matyamaka, so many different traditions there. And they brought all of this and a lot of teachings from the Buddha, Mahayana teaching, and special the Bajrayana teaching, which is developing in India, well known in public, but um, from student to, from teacher to student. And all this together brought Tibet. So Tibetan Buddhism is combination of the um, foundational vehicle, the great vehicle, and Bajra vehicle, three together. So now in the world, these three are together only exist in the Tibetan Buddhism. Here's the fascinating thing. The Buddhist masters from India learned Tibetan and became so proficient that they also formed the Tibetan script because Tibetan was an oral language before that. According to His Holiness Mingi Rinpoche, what truly sets Tibetan Buddhism apart from the other Buddhist traditions is that it is a combination of three different yanas, meaning three different Buddhist methods, paths, or vehicles interwoven together to achieve spiritual liberation. It feels like the Tibetan culture and Buddhism are almost inseparable. The Buddhist values are embedded deeply into the minds of the Tibetan children from a very tender age. 
especially the idea of impermanence. As a child, His Holiness's grandmother once taught him the idea of impermanence with a great example. This, he says, had a profound impact on him and his perspective on life. Oh, when I was young, I'm playing with my friends and we make the、uh, sand castle and sometimes collapse.、Hmm. My grandma used to kind of like teaching me from a Buddhist word oh, everything's impermanence. It will collapse. Soon you will die too. <laughs> so, since childhood, we are accepting this impermanence. I think this really helps us to build resilience later in our life. And another important is the, what we call Buddha nature, the Tathata Garbha.、Mm. It's Buddha nature. We believe that exists in everybody's mind and heart. So, we always respect other people. And that is, comes into the culture. So, these are really beneficial of Buddha Dharma, accepting impermanence, wisdom, and of course, there's a compassion, loving kindness, compassion aspect is merged into the culture. So, these, I think, great effect from those great kings. His Holiness says that everything is beyond good and bad, beyond suffering and happiness. The truth is that everything is free. The nature of all beings is pure. This idea piqued my interest in knowing what the ideal way of living for a Tibetan Buddhist would be like. Is it cultivating inner qualities such as tolerance, patience, and compassion, along with practicing the Buddhist rituals every day? Rituals like chanting the mantras, spinning the prayer wheel, Prostrating before the Buddhas or making offerings to the Buddha's deities. What these rituals signified completely blew my mind. There are seven branch practices of、uh, accumulation marriage.、Hmm. So、of course, Buddha taught that in India and that came to Tibet. And these, each one is、uh, what we call antidote of the clashes, the negative emotion.、Hmm. So, frustration、hmm. is antidote of the proud and offering. So, like offering many different ways, generosity also, offering to Buddha also. So, offering is antidote of the grasping, antidote of desire or attachment. And Of course, do, do the offering according to your level, according to your capacity. So, in the Atisham came from India to Tibet, and he was looking, oh, what kind of best, what kind of thing that we can offer in Tibet? And he looked at the water in Tibet, so clean and pure. And Atisham said, for Tibetans, I think best offering is water because so clean and pure. So, he said, This yuan chap, the thing, filled by water.、Mm. So, Tibetan people offer this water, and then there's less grasping also. <laughs>、mm. Excuse me. Less grasping is also because the water we can find in the mountain, but they can learn from there to learn the detachment, generosity, offering. And the second is confession. So, people、mm. do confession about the bad deeds. And then rejoice others' virtue, whoever did good thing. 
is the rejoice. So confession is antidote of hatred. Rejoice is antidote of jealousy. And then there's a us to teach Dharma. And that antidote of the ignorance. So us to teach you Dharma and you can learn so you have wisdom. And then number six is what we call uh, ask all the Buddhas, Buddhasadva, remain in samsara. Please help other beings. And that is develop love and compassion. In the end, dedication. So therefore, to manifest this ritual, offering bowls with the prayer wheels. So prayer wheel is spread out these words, the compassion to the others. Mm-hmm. And then there's a symbolic meaning, offering different ways like you can offer for the ear different symbolic things from the eyes flower from the nose incense from the mouth the water and from body is the kind of oil as a child i grew up watching tibetan religious dances they were usually performed during religious ceremonies or auspicious events and it was so vibrant it was so festive this dance form is known as cham in tibetan And I remember the monks who would perform this type of dance would wear heavy traditional costumes and would be adorned with jewelry. And what's really amazing is that this particular dance form is also a type of meditation that not only tells the Buddhist epics and stories, but also displays the cosmic symphonies. So this is a developmental stage meditation and... Uh, monks who perform this type of dance visualize the deities and meditate on them. And the kind of instruments that are generally used in the Tibetan monasteries or in the religious ceremonies are uh, cymbals, hand drums, which are also known as damarus, then bells. Um, and I was always intrigued to know why Tibetan Buddhist monks would create that deep effect with their throat when reciting the Buddhist mantras or prayers. And uh, when I asked this question uh, to His Holiness Yonge Mingyu Rinpoche, he replied that there is a spiritual and a religious reason as to why they create that deep effect with their voice. As in the seven branch, one is offering. So offering, we have five senses. Eye, ear, nose, tongue, body. So what Buddha said, you can offer whatever the object of five sense to the Buddha. So through the eyes, we can see a lot of flowers, dharma, in the Tibetan Buddhist, they make different dharma and all this. And through the ear, different music instruments. And the voice, also the chanting melody also offering to the ear. So normally when we go sing from the stomach, hmm. that is the innate sound. Yeah, so that is my related. But each melody has a different meaning. The kind of experiences that we have as children truly shape our lives. And I think whatever we experience, whether the experience was pleasant or unpleasant, it does affect our perspective on many things in life. So I was really inquisitive to know why His Holiness Yonge Migi Rinpoche chose this path for himself. What was his childhood like? And he revealed that At age 11, he started experiencing panic attacks. And it was like a battle within himself, like David and Goliath. It was so difficult for him that he started to practice meditation in hope that his panic attacks would reduce. 
He went on a retreat for three years and returned as a little master. He continued his monastic education and went on a retreat again. When asked about how he feels about his journey as a monk, His Holiness replied, "So this Buddha Dharma has really transformed my life as I become monastic. And what my job is: study, contemplate, pray, and meditate. So the life in the monastery and what I like is emerge. So this is really good for me. Very happy. And now I'm teaching. Uh, after many years later, I teach many places, many part of the world, and I teach meditation also." And I see this ancient great wisdom practice together with wisdom and compassion, and that really helps many people. Like His Holiness Dalai Lama always emphasizes about compassion. Compassion. He said, "My religion is compassion." So that is the what the Tibetan the teaching, the essence of Dharma. And Dalai Lama also said, "Only compassion cannot save the world. Compassion is wisdom." So these are two wings together. So this. What I'm teaching now, and this, what I'm practicing, also, uh, my life, my entire life. One thing is very certain: in the world that we live in today, much emphasis is laid on superficial qualities. We want to be the most beautiful, handsome, the richest, and whatnot. But are we happy? That is the biggest question of all. I think the truth is that. We are growing more distant from ourselves, and Tibetan Buddhists focus on the otherwise—that is, on inner qualities, cultivating inner qualities such as compassion and loving kindness, because these qualities make our life worthwhile and get us closer to our pure, to our true nature of being. And maybe, maybe. After listening to this episode, you feel the same way, and have gotten to your own true, pure nature, and also closer to Tibet. If you liked this episode, then please give me a shout out by mentioning me in your Instagram stories and posts. My Instagram handle is Tenzin Chidun Twenty Four. That is T E N Z I N dot C H O. D O N dot twenty four. You can also DM me if you have any questions. To stay updated about waking up closer to Tibet, don't forget to follow at HD Smartcast on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. To listen to more podcasts, log on to hdsmartcast dot com or suno ne nazariyese. This was an HD Smartcast original. HD Smartcast.